Psalm 1, verse 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in its season, whose leaf also shall not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. The ungodly are not so, but are like the chaff which the wind drives away. Therefore the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. This is the word of God. Psalm 1, a psalm that you're more than familiar with, I'm sure, um, gives us this description of uh, a blessed person, a blessed person, and, and then takes that description and compares it or contrasts it with the end of the ungodly. So when we work our way through this psalm, we'll, we'll think about both of those things. We'll look at the description of the blessed person, and that's where we'll spend most of our time. But I do want us to consider also the, the contrast between the result of a blessed life and the result or the end of an ungodly life. But before we talk much about how the, the blessed life is described, I, I think we have to take note or at least remind ourselves that our definition of what it is to be blessed uh, may not necessarily line up with what God's definition of what it is to be blessed. Because when we think of being blessed, which hopefully you feel very blessed coming out of Christmas and hopefully spending some time with your family and, and enjoying some meals and giving and receiving gifts, surely all of us can stand and say, Lord, you really have been good to us. We are blessed. But we think typically when we think of blessing as some sort of physical prosperity, financial security, good health, or maybe even just a united family. We think of these things and we say we are blessed. How does God define blessing? What is it when God says this is what a blessed person is? The word blessed, just to take it what it literally means, it just means happy. You've been telling people already today, happy new year. You're wishing something on them, right? It is a new year. It's a new day. It seems like everybody wants to hit the reset button and try some new things or go back to some old things they've let go of. And you've been wishing people a happy new year. But what is it by God's standard and God's definition to be happy, to be blessed? I think we can look at other, way, other ways the word is used in the Old Testament and come to a pretty uh, accurate conclusion. Deuteronomy 33 uh, says this, Happy are you, or blessed are you, O Israel, who is like you, a people saved by the Lord, the shield of your help and the sword of your majesty. In Psalm 2, uh, verse 12, he says, Kiss the son, lest he be angry, and you perish in the way when his wrath is kindled but a little. But he says this, Blessed are all those who put their trust in him. Psalm 32 says, Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man 
to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity, in whose spirit there is no deceit. As Proverbs 16 verse 20 says, He who heeds the word wisely will find good, and whoever trusts in the Lord, happy, blessed is he. Now, even if you go to the New Testament and we talk about this idea of blessing, just Matthew 5 alone uh, will clue you in that we're not just talking about physical prosperity. You know, blessed are the, the meek, blessed are the, the persecuted, blessed are the humble, blessed are the poor. Uh, those aren't things we uh, typically feel like we want to strive for. But those are the, the things that are blessed in God's eyes. And these are just a few verses, but I think it's, it's pretty easy to see what constitutes blessing or happiness by God's standard. See, it's the highest form of blessing. It's the greatest happiness because it's not dependent on the conditions of your life. Blessing and happiness by God's standard is not dependent on everything that's variable and inconsistent in your life. Your finances, your health, your family, those things can change in a moment. Those things can change easily. So you can't really root your happiness. You can't root your, your blessedness in those things. Finances, health, and family really have very little to do with this kind of happiness, this kind of blessedness. The kind of blessing that we see in Psalm 1, happiness according to God's standard, is that which is established by our relationship to Him. True happiness, this true blessing, is established by our relationship to God. God is the source of happiness. He's the source of a blessed life. And guess what? God never changes. Our happiness, our joy, our sense of being blessed as Christians is not rooted in anything in this world, but it is rooted and grounded in the unchanging character, the unchanging nature of God Himself. God never changes, so your uh, level of blessing never has to change. So the following verses here in Psalm 1 describe the person who is living this blessed life. So if you're living a blessed life by God's standard, these things will describe you. How is the blessed person described? Let me just give you three things here. You can write these down if you like. Number one, the blessed person avoids the advice of ungodly people. The blessed person avoids the advice of ungodly people. Look at verse 1. He says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. He says, walks not in the counsel of the ungodly. That's just an old way of saying he doesn't take advice uh, from ungodly people. He doesn't take bad advice. Standing in the path of sinners, that's that's more along the lines of being with sinners, committing the same sins they do, participating actively in sin. Sitting in the seat of the scornful, that's joining in the scoffing, joining in mocking what is right. And so when we look at this verse, it's not just three disjointed things, but I think we see a progression. Heeding the counsel of the ungodly would lead to standing in the path with sinners. Standing in the path with with sinners would lead to sitting in the seat of the scornful or the scoffers. See, the step isn't far between listening to bad advice and outright sinning. 
And if you take that step, the step really isn't far between sinning without concern and then mocking what is right. Bad advice or ungodly counsel leads to active sinning. And active sinning leads to mocking or scoffing at righteousness. It's a, it's a progression. Just a couple of applications here. If you're in school, you kids or students, teenagers. If you have friends, and all you parents, for your sake, I'll do my fingers like this when I say friends, who give bad advice, run away. Avoid people who tell you or encourage you to do things that contradict what your parents or your teachers tell you to do. And all the parents and the teachers say, Amen. Run away. Get away from it. Because if you listen and you do what they say, that's what? That's sin. And sin isn't just against your parents. It's not just against your teacher. But sin is against God. And it won't be long if you move from listening to bad counsel, bad advice, to sinning, that you're the one leading someone else astray, and then you just end up mocking what's right. Bad advice leads to sinning. Sinning leads to making fun of what's right. Parents. It doesn't just apply to students, but parents, grandparents, anyone for that matter. Avoid the worldly counsel, the worldly advice about how you order your life. What your priorities are. What you go to and what you miss. Namely church, if I may say so. The time you spend with your children in the word and in prayer. Don't take your cues from the culture. Don't follow after ungodly counsel. Because if you listen to ungodly counsel, that leads to sin. And it won't just be your sin, but it'll also lead to the sin of your own children. And don't be surprised when the day comes when your children, they're not following after God, but they're the ones who are mocking what's right because you listen to the advice, the counsel of the ungodly culture rather than taking your cues from the Word of God. Ungodly counsel leads to sin, and sin will lead you to scoff in righteousness. We can apply this as a church. The church has to operate this way as well. We can't take our, our cues and, and what we do as a church. We can't set our priorities as a congregation based on what's important to the world. Because that changes all the time. If you fight to try to be uh, in the know and, and you fight to try to, to be up to date with whatever's popular in the culture at the time, the church is always going to stay a step behind. So just throw that idea out the window. We don't order ourselves. We don't decide what we're going to do as a congregation based on what's popular with the culture. We take our instruction, our direction, not from the culture, but from this book. The Word of God. The unchanging, infallible, inerrant Word of God. We don't take our counsel from the ungodly. Because if we do, did you know even as a congregation, we can be led into sin. You know what might be worse than an individual sin? A congregational sin. And the people who take that road, the churches that take that road, and they try to align themselves with what's going on in the world, and they try to do what they do based on what's going on in the world, they're the ones looking back at churches that are trying to follow the Word of God, and what are they doing? They scoff. They mock. Ungodly counsel leads to sin. Sin leads to scoffing at righteousness. 
You just apply that to any area of your life and follow it. Blessed people avoid the advice or the counsel of the ungodly. Number two, the blessed person is saturated with God's word. The blessed person is saturated with God's word. Verse 2 says, but, so this is in contrast to heeding the counsel of the ungodly, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law, he meditates day and night. I, I wonder if, if we had written that psalm, one of us, or if I had written this psalm and I was um, going to make some contrast between following ungodly counsel, how I would have described uh, my interaction with the Word of God. And I love that the, the psalmist used the word delight. Because I probably would have said he studies the Word of God or he obeys God's Word. And that wouldn't have been wrong. But the Holy Spirit-inspired contrast that's given, the opposite of living according to ungodly counsel, is to delight in the law of the Lord. To love it, to desire it, to value it, to even take pleasure in it. To enjoy God's Word. Because, you know, if you enjoy God's Word, if you desire it and you love it, you delight in it, you're going to study it. You're going to obey it. You're going to want to follow what it says. That's the way the blessed person feels about the Word of God. He delights in it. Do you delight in the Word of God? Is this your relationship to your Bible? I think Psalm 119, we just read a couple of verses from it a little bit ago. I think it's probably the best source for seeing what our relationship to God's Word should be. Listen to just a few examples of verses from, from that psalm. Verse 11, Your word I have hidden or treasured in my heart that I might not sin against you. Verse 35, Make me walk in the path of your commandments, for I delight in it. Verse 47, I will delight myself in your commandments, which I love. Verse 48, my hands also I will lift up to your commandments, which I love, and I will meditate on your statutes. Verse 72 says, the law of your mouth is better to me than thousands of coins of gold and silver. Verse 92 says, Unless your law had been my delight, I would then have perished in my affliction. Could you say this about the Word of God? I love it. Your commandments are a delight to me. The, the Word of God is more important to me than all the money in the world. Thousands of silver and gold coins. Would you say, without the Word of God, if I had not delighted in the Word of God, then when I experienced affliction, I would have just perished. That's the blessed person's relationship to the Word of God. It's a need, it's a craving that we have to know the Lord through His Word. See, the Bible is God's revelation of Himself. You can't know God apart from the Scriptures. And so you can't love God very well if you don't love your Bible. This is the blessed person. If you do love the Bible, if you do love God's Word, then you're going to act on that. 
And so he says here, his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. Now the word meditate, it means to to mutter or to murmur. Um, Think of somebody just kind of grumbling under their breath. You know, we just finished Christmas, so naturally we watch the Home Alone movies. Right? Anybody else? Just us. Okay. You know, and uh, Harry, right? Harry gets hit in the head with a brick. And you know how he does. And you don't understand a word he's saying. That's probably good. Um, But he's muttering. He's murmuring. And usually when we think about murmuring, we think of it in that that negative sense. Because the the scriptures tell us that the, the children of Israel murmured against Moses. And they, they murmured against the man of God. And so we think of it in a negative sense, but the, the word doesn't have to be that way. It, it, can, it can be taken in a, in a negative, angry kind of way or in a, a way that expresses pleasure. And so in this case, in Psalm 1, we know that it's used in a positive sense because he's delighting in the law of the Lord. So the implication is that the blessed person doesn't just say he loves God's word, but he ponders it. Takes it with him through his day. Repeats it back to himself. And meditates on it. The blessed person takes the word of God with him or with her throughout the day. Note that he says day and night. It's not the 15 minutes that you're sitting with your Bible open. In the morning with your cup of coffee. 30 minutes. If you're super spiritual. An hour. But he takes the word of God even after the book is shut and meditates on it day and night. When you're in the car, you're thinking about it. When you're at work, it comes to your mind. When you have an interaction with somebody, something you've read and the word of God comes to your mind and you can put it into action. When you lie down in the bed at night, the word of God is on your mind. That's how a blessed person lives. I don't want to give the impression that I do this perfectly, okay? Uh, None of us meet this standard uh, with perfection. But it ought to be our prayer that we delight in the word of God such that it is on our minds, it is on our lips even, when no one else is around, day and night. I think maybe this, this meditating, this idea of muttering or murmuring, or keeping God's word on your lips, might at least to some degree be related to what Jesus told his disciples in John 15. He said in John 15, 7, that if if you abide in me and my words abide in you, my words abide in you, you'll ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. And we've talked about that before because if if you're abiding in Christ and his word is abiding in you, then what you pray for is going to be the right thing to pray for. Your heart's going to be in the right place. You're going to ask for the things that God wants you to ask for. Therefore, your prayers are answered. And I kind of think that might be what, we, what application we could make here from verse 2. This meditating on the Word of God isn't just reminding ourselves what God has said, but taking the Word of God and turning it back to Him in prayer. Using God, God's Word in our prayer lives. So let me just say this to every, every individual Christian. Spend time in God's Word every day. It is January 1st. It's as good a time as ever to say, for the next 365 days, I am going to find myself at some point in the day with God's Word. The more time you spend in it, the more time you'll want to spend in it. And I know you have to make yourself do it when you don't feel like it because your flesh doesn't want it. 
This isn't something that you're just going to wake up craving because of your natural state. You're a sinner. You're depraved without Christ. You don't want to take the time to open God's Word and spend time with Him. But if you make yourself do it, even when you don't feel like it, in time, it will draw you in. It becomes a desire. It becomes a joy. Learn to love it. Your flesh doesn't want it, but you need it to live. But don't read the Bible, check the box, move on from it into your day. Don't do that. That's so easy to do. Take something with you to ponder. I'm just going to tell you something really practical. Do this, okay? Whatever you read in your Bible when you get up in the morning, I recommend doing it in the morning. Write down one thing every day that you can take with you. Type it in the notes app on your phone. Put it on a sticky note, index card, on the palm of your hand. I don't care. Put it somewhere. One thing from God's Word that you can take with you. If you don't see something the first time you read a chapter or whatever you set, set aside to read, read it again. If you still don't have something that's just taken hold of you that you can carry with you, read it again. Pray. Ask God to open your eyes that you may see wondrous things in His law. You think that's a prayer God doesn't want to answer? Of course He does. Don't leave your Bible. Don't stop praying until He gives you what you need. Do like Jacob when he wrestled with God. He said, I will not let you go until you bless me. Take that attitude to your Bible every morning. I will not let you go until you bless me. Meet with God. But not only that, turn that reading into prayer. If I'm reading Psalm 1 and I read this verse and it says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly. I'm going to take that and I'm going to say, Lord, please, I know my flesh. I know my tendencies. Do not let me walk after the counsel of the ungodly. The world is throwing bad advice at me all around. The TV, the radio, the internet, everything is throwing what, what, the, what the world and the devil wants me to do. Lord, do not let me take that bad counsel. Let me take my cues from the word of God. Oh, his delights in the law of the Lord and in his law, he meditates on it day and night. God, give me such a, a desire, a love for your word that it's on my mind, that it's on my lips all the time. And make your way through the scriptures and turn these things back to prayer. Pray it back to the Lord. If you've got a, a son or a daughter or a grandchild or a friend for that matter who's not walking with the Lord, you can pray for them. Lord, they're, they're walking according to the counsel of the ungodly. They're standing in the path of sinners. And it won't be long till they're the ones that are turned around and just mocking righteousness. So Lord, I pray for them. Cause them to delight in your word. To meditate on it. To be transformed by the power of your word and by the Holy Spirit. Turn the scriptures into prayers. Take something with you when you leave your Bible every day. Meditate on his law day and night. Parents, prioritize the Bible and prayer with your children. Spend time reading the scripture, Bible stories if they're young, with your kids. And then model prayer to them by taking whatever you're reading and then praying about it. You know, bless mommy, bless daddy, bless uncle Joe. You know, all that's fine for a little while. But there comes a point when you really just need to teach your kids to pray. They won't pick it up on their own. Show them how to pray by taking what the word of God says and turning it into prayer. That applies to our church, too. This is how we need to have prayer meetings. Listen, prayer meetings shouldn't be 
town hall meetings where everybody just comes to get their updates and their news for the week. Sometimes that's the way they go. But we need to start with what God has said in His Word and then turn around and pray and ask God to do the things that He said in His Word. Pray about what God wants us to pray about. Pray about the sick, yes. Pray about those in need, yes. But the bulk of our time needs to be spent in praying about what God has said in His Word. Delight in it. Meditate on it day and night. Blessed people are saturated with God's Word. Got to pick up the pace a little bit. Verse 3, the blessed person lives a fruitful life. The blessed person lives a fruitful life. He says, he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in its season, whose leaf also shall not wither. Whatever he does shall prosper. That, that analogy or that comparison, a tree planted by a river. You think about the world these people lived in. A, a lush green tree by a river would have been a refreshing sight. This is the life of the Christian. It's healthy. It's full of life. The Word of God is a a constant stream that's pouring in and feeding its life. It bears fruit in its time. You know the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, and so forth. When you spend time in the Word of God, when you don't take ungodly counsel, God will produce these things in you. Going back to John 15 again, Jesus said, I'm I'm the vine and you are the branches. If you abide in me, what are you going to do? You're going to bear fruit. You cannot abide in Jesus. You cannot abide in the Word of God. You cannot have the Word of God abide in you and not bear fruit. Because Jesus has said you would. Now that fruit may not always grow as fast as you like. I'll be honest, I think my fruit grows really slow. And it's discouraging sometimes. Sometimes I feel like I should see much more progress than this. I'm a pastor for crying out loud. But God does His work. And over the course of time, you can look back and you you say, you know what, God, I see what you're doing. I wish it was faster. But then then again, it would probably hurt more if it was faster. But I see the work you're doing and I praise you for it. I'll just be this tree. I just want to be planted by rivers of water. I just want to have that stream of life flowing into my life. And in its due time, in its season, it will bear fruit. The blessed person sees the prosperity of his work or her work. says, whose leaf also shall not wither, whatever he does shall prosper. See, if you have the word of God being poured into your life and you're acting on it, you're living in accordance to God's will and God's word. God will make those things succeed. Success may not be the way it would be measured by the world. It may not be how people in other churches would measure it, but it will succeed according to God's standard. God's work will prosper. He will accomplish what He intends to accomplish. Then He contrasts the, this blessed life to the end of the ungodly. He says the ungodly are not so. Not so. Not, they're not the ones who avoid ungodly counsel. They're not the ones who delight in and meditate on God's word. They're not the ones who live a, a prosperous Christian life bearing fruit. 
but are like the driven chaff. Like the chaff that the wind drives away. You see, the, the Christian, the blessed person who's in God's word is rooted like a tree. It'd take a lot to move that tree. But chaff, you just throw that stuff up in the air and the wind carries it off. That's the blessed person who's living in the word of God compared to the ungodly. There's no root, there's no grounding in that life. And all it takes is a gust of wind, a storm of life, a bad circumstance... And it's gone. It says they're like the chaff which the wind drives away. It says, therefore the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. When it comes judgment day, I will be able to stand. Not because of anything that I've done, not because of my own righteousness, but because I will stand clothed in the righteousness of my Lord Jesus Christ. I don't have to stand before God ashamed on the last day, whenever that is for me. But for the ungodly, the ungodly will not stand in the judgment. The ungodly won't stand in the, the congregation of the righteous, even though they may have blended in with the righteous on earth. There may be ungodly people who sit on church pews, but on that day, when they stand before God, they will not stand in the congregation of the righteous. They will fall at the judgment of God because they're without excuse. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, he says, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. It's not that God just knows who the righteous are. He knows who everybody is. He knows your name. He knows where you live. But this intimate, relational knowing. The Lord knows the way of the righteous. He knows everything about you and you can take comfort in that. Unless you're with the ungodly. Because it says, he says the way of the ungodly shall perish. There's a way that seems right to the man, the Proverbs says. But the end thereof is the way of death. Can't follow my own advice. Can't follow the world's advice. If I'm going to live, I have to live according to the Word of God. Let me just boil it down to one thing, one main idea here. What's the main distinguishing feature between the blessed and the ungodly? <clears throat> the distinguishing mark of a blessed life is love for God's Word. According to Psalm 1, the distinguishing mark of a blessed life is love for God's Word. That plays itself out in a thousand ways in your life if you love God's Word, but that's really the bottom of it. Because you can't love God's Word unless you love God. You won't obey God's Word unless you love God's Word. You won't study it and read it if you don't love it. That really is the distinguishing mark. So let me ask you again, do you love the Word of God? Because if you don't, you can't live a blessed life by God's standard. You can't experience the highest form, the greatest level of blessing and happiness if you don't love God's word. That's what it comes down to. Now the standard for this blessed life might seem impossible to you. Let me just be frank. Uh, without a new heart and new affections, it is impossible. 
breathe a sigh of relief there. It is impossible. See, something has to change on the inside of us in order to love the things that we're supposed to love. In Jesus' words, as I heard some of you talking about in Sunday school, you must be born again if we will ever truly love God and His Word. By nature, we love the counsel of the ungodly. It makes perfect sense to us. It appeals to our flesh and everything in us to follow it. What the world says, yeah, that sounds right to me. We enjoy our sin. It's, it's just easier to laugh or scoff when somebody tries to correct us by telling us what the Bible says. Really, we're going to go back to that again? The Bible? We don't delight in God's Word. We have no desire to meditate on it for 15 minutes, much less day or night. Because of our sinful condition, our default destination is hell. God's judgment is what we deserve. We are in the way of the ungodly and we shall perish. But Jesus took our place. See, if you take the blessed man and you say, who's a perfect example of this? It's Jesus. He never followed ungodly counsel. He never sinned. He never scoffed at what was right. He loved the scriptures. He quoted God's word. He meditated on it. He taught it to others. He obeyed it perfectly, never sinning. He lived a fruitful life. Now, you might stand back and say, wait a second, wasn't he crucified? That doesn't seem very fruitful. But in your study of John, you'll find in chapter 12 that Jesus said that, and I, if I am lifted up from the earth on a cross, I will draw all peoples to myself. You and I deserve to die to be punished for our sins, but Jesus took our punishment on the cross and he died in your place. And on the third day he rose from the dead and still today he is drawing people to himself. His life, his death, his resurrection is still bearing fruit 2,000 years later. I pray that right now he's drawing those who are still in your sins. If He is, if you desire to come to Him and have your sins forgiven, turn away from ungodly counsel you've been following, turn away from the sin you've been living in, in and come to Him. Bow your head in prayer. Confess your sin to Him. Ask Him to forgive you to, and to give you a new heart, a new life. And if you do, trusting not in anything that you've done or anything you could ever do, but trusting only in Jesus, guess what? He will do it. He will save you. And He will make you a new creation. And you can live a blessed life. Loving and obeying the Word of God. Be a good way to start a year. Let's pray. Father, we do love you. We want to love you more. We love your word. We want to love your word more. 
God safeguard us. Don't let us follow after the counsel of the ungodly. Help us to see the lies and deception for what it is. Let us see temptation for what it is before we fall into it. That we may be delivered from the evil one, as Jesus taught us to pray. May we rather love your word, delight in it, meditate on it day and night. May we be people who are characterized, who are marked by love for your word. Lord, if we love your word, if we meditate on your word, we'll obey your word. We can live these fruitful lives that you've planned for us. We can be a fruitful church. We can be planted firm like a tree by a river. Bearing fruit. Our leaf never withering. And what we do in accordance with your will and your word will prosper. God, I pray for the ungodly. Those who perhaps are even in this room now. Who are listening. Lord, they are headed for judgment. They will be carried away like the chaff. They will not be able to stand. They will perish. But you have made a way for them to be saved. And I pray that they would repent. Put their trust in Jesus. And be born again. Today. And I ask it in the name of Jesus. Amen.